0: Well, it's that time again. It's the will of scooby likes Or
1: Scooby-likes. Or scooby lights Or, you know, Scooby-clones. Um, Pam, we've kind of gone through most of the good ones by now. What exactly is left? Content that you'll have
0: comical reactions to that will give us views, that's what.
1: I the things I do for my art.
0: Wait, 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 wait the wheel is stopping on the new shmoo!
1: Huh. I don't think I've seen that one.
0: Oh, that's good to know. I can tell your next of kin what was responsible.
1: Uh Uh-oh.
2: There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch watch them all. all. Depending on James to the sort of
1: hopefully funny funny cartoon cartoon podcast. Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James Kinda, Sorta, Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. And folks, is this the lowest we've gotten on the Scooby Clones with this one?
0: Nah, there's still stuff like the Frogger cartoon and Fang Face, Rickety Rocket.
1: So, strictly uh, speaking, just what we've covered.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: In our last podcast, we were discussing how rough things were for the meddling kids format of cartoons once 1979 came around. It had been ten years since the introduction of Scooby-Doo, and in his wake, Hanna-Barbera had come up with at least a dozen shows with similar formats. Either for ABC because Fred Silverman wanted something else, just a little different... Or for CBS or NBC because the executives wanted something to compete.
0: Or heck, it's also because it would fi- it fits in the censor guidelines really easily, which were pretty
1: strict at the time. No kidding. And now, into this format, Hanna Barbera would rope in the Schmoo. The who? The Schmoo might be the longest-lasting legacy of Al Cap whose long-running and once wildly popular comic strip Little Abner is now all but a memory in terms of today's pop culture landscape. Starting in 1934, the strip was centered around a family of hillbillies and the antics they got up to in the Appalachian town of Dogpatch. It ran for over 40 years, ending in 1977, roughly two years before Al Cap's passing. And for a time, it was an inescapable force, spawning much merchandise, a live-action movie, and even social events. Seriously, ever heard of a Sadie Hawkins dance where the women are the ones who ask the men out to it? That's a Little Abner creation.
0: Seemingly at one point, late, late in the uh, Seven Arts Warner Brothers cartoon making, they actually pitched a Little Abner cartoon series, but Warner wasn't interested.
1: Mm -hmm. Also, Remember that wild woman Eddie Valiant mistook for Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's Lena Hyena, another creation from Little Abner. Ah, man! All of this was eclipsed by the Shmoo, however. Per Wikipedia, a Shmoo is shaped like a plump bowling pin with stubby legs. It has smooth skin, eyebrows, and sparse whiskers, but no arms, nose, or ears. Its feet are short and round, but dexterous, as the Schmooze comic adventures make clear. This thing looks like Casper the Friendly Ghost
0: went through puberty. Yeah,
1: and put on the freshman 15. Plus 30. After little Abner encounters them, the old man hurting the Schmooze calls them a menace to mankind, but not because they're so bad. It's because they're so good. Metaphorically, are supposed to represent the bounty of the Earth in its totality. They're docile, friendly, they rapidly reproduce asexually, they only need to sustain themselves on air, their only desires are to be a boon to humans, and they're good eating no matter how they're cooked.
0: I don't think I could
1: eat one of these things. Mm. Introducing a schmoot dog patch, Abner creates a massive mess of things, nearly wrecking the economy and so much else and the Shmoo were eventually exiled. Too good for humanity. Wow. The popularity of this story doubled readership of the Strip. What's more, Al Cap inadvertently created a merchandising bonanza, unprecedented for the time, with toys, snacks, balloons, clothing items, ashtrays, fountain pens, records, even dance crazes. Cap would even snark that there was a schmoo toilet seat. I definitely wouldn't want to sit on that. Not even Mickey Mouse was pulling in this kind of craze at his initial height. In fact, the schmoo replaced Mickey as the mascot for Federal Treasury Department children's savings bonds. What's more, the paperback collection of the original story, first published in 1948 by Simon & Schuster, even attracted serious scholarly literary attention. In short, the Shmoo changed the game for comics, merchandise, and popular art. Before Beanie Babies, before Pokemon, before Pet Rocks, even before the coonskin cap craze inspired by Davy Crockett, the Shmoo was arguably the first modern fad.
0: Dun-dun-dun!
1: Of course, this influence reached Hanna-Barbera eventually, Once their television animation company really got rolling, the yugulating gloop and gleep of the Herculoids, two blob-like stretching monsters who were among the most memorable characters of the action cartoon boom of the mid-60s, thanks to Don Messick's voice work, (laughs) they were very much inspired by the Shmoo. And Hanna-Barbera wouldn't get the rights to use the Shmoo itself until after Al Cap passed away in 1979. And they completely missed the point. Yeah. The first crack at it came here, with the new schmoo, And it's one of those final meddling kids and their sidekick cartoons to come out of Hanna-Barbera in this era. Now this schmoo is singular. And it's a sidekick to teenagers Mickey, who's the brains, Nita, who's the common sense, and Billy Joe the comedic relief skeptic. And they investigate all manner of paranormal phenomena, not simply costume creeps of the week engaging in hackneyed larceny. Matters such as the Bermuda Triangle and the Lost City of Atlantis would be topics investigated by this crew for Mighty Mysteries Comics, or MMC, not to be confused with the Mighty Monkey Corporation.
0: Which is weird, because I don't think I
1: ever see them actually draw any comics. I'll give Hanna-Barbera some credit. They're trying something different with the format this time. But none of the characteristics that made the shmoo such a hit with comic readers of the past or that made him a deeply examined piece of satire were retained. This schmoo has far more in common with his indirect descendants, Gloop and Gleep, being simply an amorphous shapeshifter.
0: Um And... Boy, does he shapeshift.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, as the opening theme aptly demonstrates.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know about that opening theme. I mean, it literally, at one point, says in a kind of, I don't know if I'd say ominous tone, but a weird tone that he's going to please you. And I'm just like, is that a threat?
1: <laughs> so Frank Welker performs the schmoo here. Yet another high-pitched gibberish character in his growing repertoire of them that we've covered on this podcast. You need a funny-sounding
0: maybe animal, maybe not creature of unknown determination?
1: Frank Welker's your guy. And another familiar voice to us, Chuck McCann, supplies the voice of Billy Joe. And with a vocal inflection, I'm really not used to hearing him use that frequently. Kind of sounds like
0: burger from uh, DuckTales.
1: Yeah, just not as high-pitched.
0: Yeah, which... Actually, yeah, he might actually sound more like a kid
1: if he did it high-pitched, honestly. But then he'd also start sounding too similar to the schmoo. Either way, the voice we do get doesn't suit a teenager. I like Chuck McCann and all, but I don't think this voice really works. It sounds more like an in-between for the inflections of Droopy and the mayor of Townsville. <laughs>
0: Definitely doesn't sound like a teenager. He doesn't le- even look very much like a teenager, to be honest.
1: Yeah, he, he looks like an animated version of Bill Fagerbeck's character from Coach.
0: I was just gonna say, I wish I could imitate his voice.
1: <laughs> I'm not a crusty crab. <laughs> there you go. It's all I, I had to come up with something on the spot, and well, there's the go-to line. Yeah, that's why either that played. or is an instrument? Patrick
0: Starr is probably what he's most known for. But he has done other voice acting, like Broadway in uh, Cargoyles and... uh, And Bulkhead. And Bulkhead in Transformers Animated, which is my favorite of his roles, because I actually like Bulkhead a lot in that. But this is getting off topic,
1: because he's not in this show. (laughs) Right. So the rest of our main cast, we've got Bill Idelson, who is a veteran performer starting in radio in 1931, when he was a mere 12 years old. He's performing Mickey and actress, Dolores Cantu, performs Nita in her lone voice credit role. She does a pretty good job, indeed. I mean, it's does Bill, given his age.
0: Yeah, I mean, he sounds like a kid. I believe that he's a kid. His voice sounded familiar, but I looked up his his vast, massive like credits, but it's not. There's nothing
1: there that I would have heard that voice from. So, and of course, incidental characters are performed by the usual gang of Hanna Barbera veterans including Don Messick, Dawes Butler, Janet Waldo, John Stevenson, Hal Smith, and others.
0: And Frank Welker usually doing double time.
1: I wanted to give credit
0: to Anita, though, because she's like, definitely a, looks to be of a Middle Eastern descent, either like Indian or, you know, somewhere around that area, and you really don't get that in these this era of cartoon shows. Too true. And she's not a stereotype, which is even more impressive.
1: Yeah. That's probably one of the bigger positives of this show. Now, there's one thing that was absent from the episodes we watched that was part of the original broadcasts. The sing along with the Schmoo segments, which turned the shmoo into a little bouncing ball you were supposed to follow along as you sang.
0: I didn't even know about that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I spotted it on Wikipedia, and sure enough, I was looking forward to just giving a quick critique of those, but no such luck. Those might be lost media. Maybe. But what isn't Lost Media is the very first episode, The Amazing Captain Mentor. Post-National Bank, part of this complete breakfast.
0: I always prefer Kellogg's National Bank, personally.
1: <laughs> Seriously, that, that is the name of the bank in question. And two Prohibition-era-looking bank robbers race out with sacks of cash and pursued by a manager when the announcer for the Super Friends flies in and says, Don't worry, I'll stop them! And boy, howdy, does he! (laughs) Now, this must be the aforementioned Captain Mentor. He does indeed stop the car, and as the crooks hoof it on foot, he traps them with his mental force to make them give the money back to the bank. Just as the cops are driving up, the masked man flies off with the crooks, claiming he's going to rehabilitate them. What what does that mean? (laughs) Well, we could give the literal definition, but uh, the operative definition could be anything. Not to mention, I'd figure
0: the cops would have a problem with that. I mean, you know, that's their job.
1: (laughs) They kind of do. One of the cops says it's the fifth time this week, and they have no idea what Captain Mentor is doing with the crooks. Oh, my. Thank you, George. Crossfade over to Billy Joe, bicycling through town complaining that he feels like the errand boy for Mighty Mysteries Comics. He also looks way too big for that bicycle. He's also way too big for their car. Now, we have not yet debuted the Hanna-Barbera drinking game, have we?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Well, one of the drinks is the cool car. This is not a cool car. I'm not, not sure what this car is. <laughs> Just hold that thought for a moment, folks. Right now, Billy Joe takes a shortcut through some construction and gets stuck in fresh tar. And a nearby worker who looks very, very familiar warns him of a runaway steamroller, and Billy Joe starts crying for help. Jumping off the bike never occurs to this dum-dum.
0: Well. Wow. Panic. Yeah. Also, man, looking at this now, the perspective on this is insane. I, I have a feeling Billy Joe is meant to be a lot smaller in this scene because I'm, I'm going to send you this real quick. Okay. Yeah, look at how small the building, the door, and the fire hydrant is compared to him in this picture. Wow.
1: Heck, Look at the size of his head compared to his shoulders. <laughs>
0: I have this feeling he was meant to be much smaller in this scene, which would make more sense why jumping off might not be uh, what he wants to do, because there might be still, he'd probably get stuck on more tar. If, Maybe. If, that's,
1: that's my guess. It's a fair point. Uh, you know, I, I, I just get this feeling that him jumping and getting stuck in the tar would have probably made his situation at least more comical. And
0: also drum up more drama for it.
1: Potentially. But, But Captain Mentor flies in to save the schmuck's hide. Unfortunately, not his bike. Right. And then the captain flies to the steamroller to stop it from hitting a stalled bus full of school kids. The kids cheer, accompanied by absolutely no animation. Now, you would be inclined to think this was a budgetary thing, but we will find out this is on purpose. Billy Joe asks who the mysterious man is, and after Captain Mentor introduces himself, he recites the slogan of so many smiley face posters of the era. Wow! Who
0: are you, anyway? You can just call me Captain Mentor. Have a nice day! Wow! Have a nice day! Not not exactly the most intimidating uh, superhero battle cry, I will say that.
1: Oh, I think it only works if you're Mick Foley. Now, remember, friends, this is supposed to be a cartoon based on a character from cartoonist and satirist Al Capp, two years after the strip ended. In 1979, in the wake of this mishappened cliché storm, they must have heard him spinning in his grave in Mount Prospect Cemetery for miles and miles. Probably spinning enough that they probably could light a few light bulbs (laughs) with that kinetic energy. So, at MMC headquarters, Mickey and Nita are having popcorn and drinks while watching a report on Captain Mentor with the shmoo as a placemat for the food. Of course, he eats and drinks the majority of it right under their noses, further removing this shmoo from what Cap's version was like.
0: Well, if you're going to use a living creature as
1: your placemat, I kind of think you deserve this. They watch Billy Joe get interviewed, and just then he walks in wearing full Captain Mentor cosplay. Apparently, the captain is all the rage, and his displays of daring do have overcome Billy Joe's skepticism of anything supernatural or the like. He wants to interview the captain, and Nita agrees, saying there's a lot of question to ask someone who takes the law into his own hands. There is a lot of
0: perspective problems in this show. (laughs) I didn't realize this when I first watched it, but... Go ahead.
1: Of course, she's also the sensible one. She's the lone girl without a second girl to act as a comedic contrast. Now, to find the, the captain, Shmoo suggests starting at the bank.
0: Which is funny because uh, I was watching this with a friend, and whenever Shmoo made that suggestion, my friend Lauren <laughs> instead thought that the uh, Shmoo was, uh, <laughs> was telling them to go rob a bank.
1: <laughs> Which would have worked. Driving through town, as Mickey complains about Billy Joe's getup, we see that the doofus wasn't kidding. Captain Mentormania has gripped the town. Even the bank manager is dressed this way. Hidden by being drawn in all black so as not to spoil the goofy reveal. And his secretary is dressed that way, too. Which even Mickey admits is a good look on her, at least. Why? <laughs> There's those, uh, Iwao female designs. He's not wrong, but <laughs> calm yourself.
0: <Yeah>. Also, <laughs> we get the first scene of that that car. What even is that thing?
1: I don't know. It, it seems to have three wheels, for starters.
0: Yeah, I, when I first saw it, I thought it only had two wheels, and I got kind of confused. But yeah, it's got three wheels. The From the looks of it, it looks like you enter through the front of it. And, and there's obviously room for billy joe to illegally ride in the back Um, because that that looks like all kinds of uh not uh legal driving conditions yeah but which just makes me wonder where the heck the
1: engine is all the president can tell the trio is that the captain was going to take the crooks for rehabilitation so the kids leave and oh look captain mentor arrives right as they close the office's door He pulls a Batman from Batman the Animated Series. He just comes from right behind the drapes. He wants to speak with the bank prez on a matter of great importance. So, back to driving, the schmoo directs the team's attention to a TV store as Captain Mentor takes over the airwaves to properly introduce himself. Yeah, that's not suspicious.
0: It's also impressive, but we'll get to that.
1: He claims to come from another planet where crime was eradicated, and now he's got a secret base on Earth to stop crime here, too. As Billy Joe whoops it up for his new hero, Captain Mentor returns the airwaves to reruns of Woody's Roundup. this, This guy sounds like he has an addiction to fighting crime. Nita still has questions, despite wanting to believe. Just then, another car drives into frame, and it's the bandits from earlier in the episode this time with their mouths covered up, but it's clearly the same designs. And same voices. Yeah. Hi, Frank. (laughs) Then they crash into a fruit stand, sending the schmooze crew's car spinning from the debris. It's a very convenient disaster for Captain Mentor to fly in and stop. Just like before, the robbers drop their cash, and this time Mentor flies off with them right in front of the police.
0: Police aren't even even trying anymore.
1: (laughs) As Billy Joe continues to encourage his cohorts to jump on the hype train, Mickey realizes that all the incidents took place within a very small part of the city's overall landscape. This leads him to believe that his headquarters isn't far. And off they go. Now, Billy Joe can't believe that the rough part of town they wound up in is the place. But news runs at the speed of plot, as a newsboy has the afternoon copy... And the top headline is Mentor now protecting the city's banks on a full-time basis. That's one heck of a fast newspaper, especially for, what, 1979? mm mm-hmm. Captain Mentor has even got the plans for their alarms to allegedly make them burglar-proof.
0: I got questions.
1: I got lots.
0: We're not going to get answers, are we?
1: <laughs> I don't know. But the newsboy protests that Billy Joe hasn't paid to read the paper but a kissing shmoo makes the kid run for his sanity.
0: I probably would too if that thing kissed me, let's be honest.
1: Mickey's map reading points to an abandoned theater as the most likely spot for Captain Mentor to be hiding out.
0: I also want to point out that the remaining letters that are on that is A-A-S-H-L-E. Even though there's one too many A's, I can't not look at this and expect one of these A's to be an S and a missing O. Oh my.
1: I mean. It's yeah. right there. Yeah. And of course, we got the requisite creeping person right behind the whole thing. Of course. Of course. Back from the break, the schmoo is hopping around the balcony when the kids are spotted by, yes, one of the bank robbers. Schmoo's still playing around, though, and the calls to knock it off lead it to agree and knock off one of the banister fixtures right at the crook. Ah. Uh,
0: the kids try to make a run for it, but they get stopped by the other bank robber. Complete in cartoon stop, pose, and sound.
1: Yeah. And the shmoo distracts the crook while Hanna-Barbera hopes we're distracted from the fact that Billy Joe is back in his usual clothes very briefly.
0: I, I, I'd rather be distracted by... I don't know what
1: the is doing to this guy's face, but it doesn't look Doesn't look good. (laughs) It's a face hug. This is 1979, the era of Alien. Weirdly, Scott saw this and he had ideas. (laughs) The trio find the theater doors locked, and Captain Mentor arrives to stop the crooks for the third time this day. Billy Joe again chides his partners for their disbelief, which catches Mentor's ear. He offers to show them around to diffuse their concerns. And now Billy Joe starts to catch on to the resemblance between the tall crook and the construction worker from earlier. When Mentor explains, oh, they're just the Boarding's bank robbers, Nita spots the improvised masks in their pockets. So now Captain Mentor leads them to the secret control room, which will explain everything. I just want to say that,
0: like, when he shows that he's rehabilitating them, they're just moving a box back and
1: forth. Yeah, yeah. I guess they had to improvise something on the fly. Yeah. It ain't great, though. Nope. But yeah, this control room explains everything. Because it's all just props and stage scenery. Mentor locks them in, and they spot everything involved with his activities. Even the kids from the bus, all mannequins, and the wig the bus driver was wearing. Because it was also one of the bank robbers. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Mulling it over, Billy Joe feels like a fool. But he's also the first to remember that Mentor has the bank's security details now. I, I also can't
0: get over the explanation for hijacking the TV network. The TV, Yeah, just network. one coaxial cable. Yeah, they, they drove a truck to a single <laughs> antenna, put one coaxial cable in, and were able to take over the... It's not that easy.
1: <laughs> if it was that easy, we'd have had more incidents like that one Max Headroom one.
0: I was just about to reference that.
1: Good job. <laughs>
0: it's like if we even had modern day tech and went back in time, we
1: still couldn't do it that easily. So now needing to contact the police, the schmoo to get past a locked door fits through a mouse hole by becoming a mouse with no legs. And the cheapest Hanna-Barbera animation of the seventies that I personally have seen ensues. Wow. I have a feeling Hanna-Barbera spent all of their money just getting the license for the shmoo on this show. Could be. Also, the shmoo forgets he can change back for a bit as a cat corners him. But he re- does remember, kisses the cat, and said cat escapes through the mouse hole. I mean, I can't blame the cat for being scared. <laughs> With the crew unlocked, they look for a phone, but the only one they can find has been cut. So it's up to them to find and stop the crooks, which doesn't take long. I, I do kind of wonder what,
0: like, Mentor's plan was here, just locking them in the frickin' room. It's like, I, I guess it, it'd buy him some time, but can he have, like, I don't know, tied them up or something? Knocked them out? Something that would have been in the
1: censor uh, guidelines that's not, you know, just outright shooting them. <laughs> he certainly got the strength to do it. Yeah. Mickey has what sounds like a fairly complex plan, then just admits they're gonna wing it. Okay, that's not a bad joke. No, that's that's a actually pretty. It's delivered pretty decently, I'll give it that. But their sneaking animation is so stereotypical that I take back any points I gave them for that gag.
0: Great, I'll, I'll give uh, also want to give Billy Joe credit for having the the typical shaggy line for some for this type of gag, which is I liked it better when I didn't understand what you what the plan was. <laughs>
1: They spot Mentor and crew discussing the kids' inevitable escape, and Mickey finally has a more concrete plan. It starts with Shmoo finding and triggering the bank alarm, then using a fire hose on the super phony, eventually revealing a jet pack. Captain Mentor still has his strength, but Mickey and Shmoo freeze him in place via fire extinguishers. What the heck fire extinguishers do we have here? The cops arrive, and the kids reveal his strength is from an exoskeleton that the CO2 in the fire extinguishers froze up. And Mentor is unmasked as a notorious bank robber. i got a lot of questions. Yeah, and to start with, one you posed to me, how did the kids even know about the exoskeleton? Yeah, I, there was no mention of that. I
0: guess they may have found something in the room, but I we
1: didn't see that. Yeah. And how would they have known that CO2 would have done that job! It's really Not to mention, that's some pretty impressive tech for, again, 1979. I don't think we even have tech like that now. So, after Billy Joe throws out his Captain Mentor costume, the other kids tell him of his good qualities to cheer him up. What he has that Mentor didn't, though, is appetite.
0: Which he proves by eating everybody's food.
1: Cue the everyone laughs ending...
0: Okay, before we get to the next episode, there's something I have to say here. Because this kind of humored me. Captain Mentor straight up mentions, it's like, we gotta hurry. We can't keep, those kids aren't going to stay locked up forever. And it's like, in most situations, I would be like, why is he worried about the kids that much? But then I I remember, you know, the type of show this is. And I'm like, oh my God, Captain, I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, Captain Captain Mentor's genre savvy. He knows how this stuff works. <laughs> He's like, I've seen Scooby-Doo, they're going to come for us.
1: So yeah, a couple lines aside, this wasn't terribly funny, and it wasn't terribly exciting.
0: I, I do like that the overall explanation for Captain Mentor is is pretty out there,
1: even by Scooby-Doo standards. <laughs> and you know what? It's not going to get much better after the break, folks. Nope.
3: After these messages, we'll be right back. On the
1: next Penny and James podcast, our Hanna-Barbera coverage for the year comes to a close with the dog that broke the company into the big time. Huckleberry Hound was the calm in the cartoon storm of the 1950s. Slow walking, slow talking, and able to bounce back from any setback with wit and grace. It's animation's most laid-back man of a thousand jobs, in two
2: weeks. Hello, listeners of the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Uh, we are that's not quite all, folks. The Looney Tunes podcast hosted by me, Mark Hadlum. always joined by
3: this asshole right over here, Jordan Schmidt. Hi, how are you?
2: Yeah, we just had a get some ad time here to to promote our fun little show. So, obviously, if you're listening to Pemmy and James's show, you obviously love cartoon discussion. Well, um. We are a Looney Tunes podcast, so we talk a lot about um, kind of like the history of all Looney Tunes media, really. Um, Throughout the three years now we've been doing the show, we've covered every Looney theatrical movie. A lot of episodes on a lot of different topics throughout uh, Looney Tunes history. We've also looked at a bunch of Looney TV shows like Duck Dodgers. Lunatics Unleashed um, Baby Looney Tunes We've also looked at some uh, TV specials Such as Remember in the 2000s when Cartoon did the big game? We've looked at two of those specials
3: They're a lot of fun Yeah, those are awesome Our analysis ranges from complimentary to really critical uh, We love these cartoons We love what makes them great And we like to talk about what makes them work, what makes them not work We put out an episode every week uh, We have commentaries we put out every couple months On the Hanna-Barbera ca- projects we're doing now we are a wild-ranging cartoon discussion show that verges on the insane in multiple... Why is the the, the uh, now not coming to me? Um, the show is full of pure Tom Lunary. Exactly. Thank you. I appreciate it. We've covered a lot. We're going to cover a lot. If you like what you've been hearing on the Pemi and James show, you'll probably like us a lot. So please find us on all the podcast services you love, you know and love. We're out there. We're going to be out there. We thank you for your time.
1: Now, Pemi, how much do you know about the actual myth of pyramid power? I don't know a thing about it. Well, just as well, because it's all hoopla. It's pup-kiss. So, let me get this straight. It's a pyramid scheme. Arguably. Except not in the traditional conman sense. Pyramid power is arguably one of the most ludicrous myths in existence. It's defined as the belief that the Egyptian pyramids and similar structures can hold and confer a variety of benefits. These theories date back to around the 1930s, and range from preventing food from rotting, to keeping razor blades sharp, to acting as, and I quote, a thought-form incubator. Whatever that is. The Illuminati. The Mythbusters notably tackled this concept in a 2005 episode, and promptly realized it was a complete waste of their time. Still, here we are, with an episode of this very cartoon, about that very subject. You know what, it probably
0: was pretty topical at the time, so... Could have been. Props to them, I guess, for that.
1: So yes, the episode is, The Pyramid of Peril. An inventor's convention is in town. Prime material for MMC, to be sure. A Mr. Hugh Howard's... A, uh, obvious... Parody on eccentric millionaire and at this point, dead Howard Hughes. Oi! <laughs> He's chauffeured in and welcomed by a fellow named Brooks, who says he has something he should be interested in therein. While Brooks dismisses most of the inventions as crackpot ideas, he claims that one Mister Chops has something special. And it just so happens at the convention, Mickey and Schmoo are present. And the former has to tell the gelatinous sidekick to keep a low profile. Didn't seem to feel the need to do that previously, yeah. but okay. Howards walks right into the kid's popcorn and doesn't even say, excuse me. Uh, I am just going to say, yeah, he's, uh, what a jerk. But Mickey, upon realizing who it is, decides to see what he's up to. And now we find Carl Chops manning a device, and Hugh insisting they get on with it. And, um... That voice. This voice sounds familiar.
0: <laughs> it sounds like Mr. Jinx and Apu from The Simpsons had a baby, or had a had a, had a son.
1: Yeah, it, it's Dawes Butler doing a very embarrassing bad accent.
0: Yeah, anyone
1: who felt that like Apu and The Simpsons was offensive, geez, they should listen to this. Chops put a rooster in a pyramid framework and amplifies the, quote, cosmic power, unquote, of the pyramid. Wait, so this is going to turn him into the Fantastic Four? Mm, wrong cartoon. Right programming block, though. You see, after some old Super Friends sound effects, the rooster has been de-aged into a little baby chick. Everyone watching is impressed, and then the tyke is de-aged even further into an egg. Um... What the... I'm no biology expert, but would the shell occur with the embryo, or would we truthfully only get the egg yolk in white? You know, that's a good point. So you don't know have to say to that? What the shell is going on? Either way... <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Mr. <laughs> Howards is sufficiently impressed... And when Chops tells him that it could work on humans after some adjustments, the billionaire insists the device be moved to his estate for further testing. Mickey resolves to call the gang, and Schmoo assists as a phone of his own when they find the payphones are all in use. I, I got a bunch of questions about this. Yeah, how precisely is Shmoo tapping into the,
0: the phone wires? Why didn't they use him in the first episode if he can do this? That, too. Also, why is he an old-timey phone, too, with crank and everything? His off patch
1: roots are showing?
0: There you go. Um, Here's what I get from this. Despite the fact that Shmue is turning into an old-timey crank phone,
1: he somehow has cellular power In in 1979? Yeah. Either way, Nita picks up, and Billy Joe remarks that Mickey is the best inventor there for inventing a way to get out of work. Jeez, Billy. I think he might be the laziest comic relief character yet. Aside from maybe Buford.
0: I also think this uh, place that they're doing this, these
1: comics is way too small for these kids. Nita and Billy Joe head down to the convention, where Howards and Chops are talking finer details. Our, uh adventuring crew reunites just as hugh howards reverses into their car and hooks them along for a ride jerk how how did they even how did that even happen you got me we're asking that a lot this episode aren't we yeah and this is a shorter episode (laughs) yeah mickey and shmoo race to catch up and they collectively decide to just go along for the ride since it's where the story they're on is leading anyway. How convenient. Introductions are made after they reach the Howards' estate, and Mr. Howards gives them the cold shoulder and dismisses their bumper business with a go find the handyman and send me a bill. At least he's willing to pay for it, I guess. That's something. As the pyramid is taken away, I could swear I hear Frank Welker's normal voice in there. Possibly. Anyhow, the trio decide to trail the pyramid as part of their search for the handyman. Makes sense. Mm. So at least something in this episode makes sense. I mean, it's as good as an excuse as any. And hey, that means
0: they're technically
1: not breaking and entering. Unlike the Scooby gang. In the lab, Howard's doesn't want to do the experiment without seeing a human test subject. So Chops suggests his chauffeur, Hendrix. The device is activated, and the schmoo poop from bouncing up and down to get a view turns into a piece of paper to slip through and get a better look. Mickey has to chase after Shmoo who thinks the whole thing is a game and the blobby thing dodges Mickey who slides into the pyramid structure. Dope! Oh. Suddenly the process ends and Hendrix is a younger man and Mickey is gone! Now, Chops explains that the device was set for 30 years which, let's be truthful, is more years than any meddling kid in any of these shows has ever seen. Yeah, Mickey... If that's true, Mickey's gone. Yeah. In fact, Chops explains he's now in an alternate dimension. Excuse me, what? (laughs) I know! The crying schmooze tears threaten to short-circuit the controls, and Chops shoes them all out. And once Howard also exits... Chops and Hedricks clandestinely confer about what to do about Mickey, which is overheard by a stethocope schmoo. The rest of the crew have to go get their friend, but first they have to get by the locked doors. One schmoo key later, they're in. Again. And this time with reason to break and enter. True. But once they're at the pyramid trying to figure out how to get to their friend, Chops turns on the device and a trap door. And they fall down a pit because, you know... Of course, oh. that's... And there's Mickey, suddenly aged? Nope, he's wearing the old man mask Hendricks was using. The whole thing is a massive con, and Howard's is the mark.
0: Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy.
1: No kidding. So, payment in hand, Howard's shows up, and the crooks try to send him down the trap door too. Only the schmoo is way ahead of the thing and blocks the door. And as Howards wonders what kind of scam is going on, Chops storms out of the pyramid and stomps about. So the Shmoo just releases the door, which sends Chops down, and then the Shmoo trampolines the phony back up. So, earlier, to stop
0: this, you could say that the Shmoo jacked things up?
1: Oof. Hendrix, realizing the jig's up, tries to escape, but the Shmoo traps him in a pyramid of his own making, and the kids catch the cash. A grateful Mr. Howards promises a reward, and it's a plastic pyramid.
0: Yeah, what a... At least Mr. Howard seems happier
1: than usual. Riding back to HQ, Billy Joe is unimpressed and just tosses it. Only for it to land on his seat, and he sits on it, Potsy.
0: Oh. I guess he got the point.
1: Yeah. Schmoo puts a safety cork on it during the Everyone Laughs ending. To
0: his credit, that is kind
1: of cute. Yeah. Yeah, this was a truncated episode. There's a potential reason for that. You see, after a few months on the air, the shmoo was folded into the pre-existing package show Fred and Barney Made the Thing, which has the Flintstones characters being brutally murdered by the horror movie icon. I mean, has Fred and Barney share their time slot with a vastly reimagined version of Marvel Comics' iconic strongman superhero. Yet again, the belief that packaging together disparate characters and concepts into one program made them more appealing prevailed. Except it didn't. Nope. But that sure wouldn't stop them from trying to use the schmew again. Well, yep, the following year, a more cohesive Flintstones package came about, reviving past concepts like the teenage versions of Pebbles and Bam Bam, and the idea of a monstrous family moving next to the Flintstones. Except instead of the Gruesomes, it's the Frankenstones. And also, Captain Caveman! Yep, Cavey was folded in from being a previously unrelated property to having originated in Bedrock. And you know who else was folded in? The Shmoo. Yes, it turns out Shmoo existed in prehistoric times. And he was a junior deputy under Fred and Barney who became cops for... Reasons? I could be wrong, but if I remember right, I think it said that they were uh
0: I think they were volunteer cops or something like that, which yeah. still seems like a heck of a way to use your free time.
1: Yeah, especially when you're already busy as heck construction workers.
0: Yep. Or heck, maybe they just got that job because they're tired of <laughs> working at the quarry. Or maybe Mr. I Slate mean,
1: fired them yet again. And this time for a longer period. <laughs> But after that, for the Shmoo, well, with little Abner no longer running in the funny pages, and either no apparent interest in new media on the property, or the estate of Al Cap becoming gun-shy after what Hanna-Barbera used the Shmoo for, the well of material out of Dogpatch dried up. The Shmoo would eventually be just a cultural touchpoint to be referenced in other places, trying to evoke its initial time period or, occasionally, its parabolic nature as a source of plenty. Now, there would be an attempted revival of the comic proper in 1989, but Al's daughter objected at the last possible minute. And no television series inspired by the comic ever came forth, despite several attempts and a few pilots and or specials making it to air, making these Hanna-Barbera efforts the best-known iterations of the Schmoo to regularly appear on the tube. Poor Shmoo. Yeah. Today, the comic is a historical landmark, more than a cultural one. Much like other former titans of the format, like the Cats and Jammer Kids and Little Nemo. And, with the newspaper comic sections vanishing, and today's comic strips relying more on social media and website and ad revenue, from that, pretty soon the titans of the Sunday funny pages of our own youths, save perhaps for Peanuts and Garfield, who have joined Popeye as having made the transition to multimedia icons, will meet a similar fate. I suppose it's better to die a hero than live long enough to see yourself become Dilbert.
0: That's a good line.
1: But yeah, as far as this show itself, drastically unmemorable. Nah, it's pretty eh, at best. <laughs> the only thing is that theme song, which I still can't get out of my head. Thanks, Hoyt Curtain.
0: I don't know, that, uh fact that I still say it sounds like he's threatening to please you he's gonna please you no please please don't please <laughs> the show did not please me I, I will say that
1: nor I we're gonna need some extra sugary breakfast cereal to get the taste of this one out of our mouth see ya <laughs> good night everybody to the sort of funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michaels-Smith.